Welcome to the Generosity Podcast. In these conversations, we are going to be discussing how we are called to be generous with our time, heart, energy, resources, but most of all, with our very core and our being and ourselves as we relate to who God is calling us to be as followers of Jesus. Uh, I'm Jay Gamlin. I'm the lead servant for Family Life at Abiding Hope Church, and with me is Pastor Doug Hill, our lead servant here, um, our lead pastor here at Abiding Hope. And we want to invite you into this time of reflection as we explore generosity together. Welcome. Hi, Pastor Doug. How are you? I'm good. Good. I want to get started in this first one, and I know that's something that's very important to you, especially in working with the Haitian to Moon Foundation, is to differentiate the different kinds of way that we're called to help and understanding helping that hurts and helping that actually helps. And so I was wondering if you could help lead us in that conversation today. Thanks, Jay. You know, I, um, in the last 20 years... Uh, going to Haiti, working with folks in Haiti, some of the poorest of the poor in the world. Um, I've learned a lot about generosity and what we call toxic charity. Um, that was new for me. I, I hadn't known about this. Uh, I remember growing up and even in my early years as a pastor where you just raise money for folks, you give them money and and you hope they're okay, right? And 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 often with that, you don't know really what you're giving to. You don't know um, if the money you're giving, if, if, if the, the, the time you're investing is actually making a difference. But you feel good because you're giving something, right? You've had experiences with this. And, and that was just kind of my approach in, in ministry in regard to generosity. Let's raise money for, for Lutheran Family Services. Let's raise money for the food pantry. Let's raise money for... Uh, pastor's discretion so that when people come by the church during the week looking for food or looking for gas, we have a small fund that we can use to to help them. But there wasn't, there weren't relationships being built. And, and that to me is the shift from toxic charity to relational generosity. Uh, the relationships have to come first. So I have a personal ethic that I've had my entire life that if I'm downtown Denver, and somebody is begging and asking for something, I'll give them a couple of dollars. And that makes me feel good. I do that for me. I don't know if it's helping that person. I have no idea if it's helping that person. Mm -hmm. But they're asking me. I've given people money because they've asked, uh, they, they say they need to buy a bus ticket or, you know, they just want food or whatever. Um, and, and that makes me feel good. So, I still do that. I've, I've been criticized by that. People have said, well, you, you know, they might be taking that to use drugs or to drink. And yeah, they might. I don't know. But that's not the kind of charity we want to endorse. That's not the kind of charity that we want to raise people into. We would rather uh, uh, help people to learn how to uh, create relational generosity. So let me talk about Haiti for a moment. Um, when I first started going to Haiti, what, what was overwhelming was the need. Everyone is in need. Everyone is in need. Your bus driver is in need. The person who you're buying the, the food from, whatever, is in need. The people that, that are hosting us and, and, and cooking for us are in need. Um, the people that walk past our hotel where we're staying are in need. Everyone is in need. And when they see us Americans coming, they know we have means. They know we have resources. 
And so some people are overt in coming over and asking. Others are a little more sneaky in the approach. They, they wait till you're by yourself and they kind of come over and whisper a little bit, hey, can you, can you help me out? You know, my daughter, my daughter's sick. Can you help, can you help me out? My kids, my kids haven't eaten this week. Can you, can you help me out? You know, and, and the tug is constant and consistent and it's heavy. And so that was hard for me. Somebody who I like to just give to people who ask. And it makes me feel good. Well, I can't do that in Haiti because I would be broken a minute and a half, right? I mean, it's just the need is so tremendous. And, and that was heavy for me. I, I had a really hard time making sense of what my role is to be in this. Um, how can I be generous while at the same time uh, protecting myself, protecting my organization that I represent? I can't just give the farm away. That's not what Jesus told us to, to do, just, you know, uh, squander everything and then there's nothing. No, we need to be good stewards of people's gifts. We need to, be, as, as people are giving to, to churches, giving to our organizations, we need to be able to assure them that those dollars are being used in a way that are maximizing the dollars and maximizing life. And so the only way to do that is through relationships. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while. The, the relationships don't happen quickly. Um, in fact, there were people in Haiti, I've been going for 20 years now, but there were people in Haiti, it took seven or eight years before they would trust us and we would trust them. It took frequent trips over and over where they began to realize these aren't the same kinds of American travelers we've experienced before. Mm-hmm. And, and we started realizing these folks are being truly honest and genuine with us and not trying to manipulate or con. And it takes a long time for that level of trust to be built. And, and, and really what builds that trust is just consistency. You do what you say you're going to do. You're consistent. You're reliable. You're dependent. You don't make promises that you can't keep, right? And so for, for the, the Haitian people... They see that, that we honor our promises, we honor our commitments, we show up, we keep coming. We want to see the impact. We want to see uh, the things that are going on. We want good reporting of the money. Uh, in, a, in a cash system like Haiti, where people aren't writing checks, where they're not using credit cards, everything's cash, it's really hard to account. I mean, you got to keep track of everything, and that takes a lot of effort for someone in a, in a developing nation like like Haiti, but that's what we require of our partners. We want we want transparency. We want them to be able to, on the front end, show us what they're planning to do. Um, what's that going to cost? What do you think the impact's going to be? Uh, how many people are you going to be able to employ? How you know how, how many people are you going to be able to help as we do this? What will be the outcomes of all of this? We want measurable data and information. And if the folks don't know how to do that, we teach them. We teach them how to do it. We accompany them through that. So we're investing not just in dollars or with dollars. We're investing with education. We're investing with wisdom and, and, and good business practices. And, and what gets built then is this trust. So then I can come back to the United States and I can tell these stories, and I can bring our partners here so people can meet them and develop relationships with them also. So it becomes more, more like family helping family. 
you know who you're helping. You know what their heart is. You know what's going on. That's a great example of building that long term. You know, when you have seven years to invest, I can kind of reflect on the other end with what it looks like with our students, where we only have short term, um, a lot of our short term missions. We're doing more in Denver and trying to create more long time relationships, but we often go somewhere for short term. So how do we avoid that to be toxic charity is we often, um, we have to do a lot of training with our students to say that that poor person that does not exist to make you feel better, that that person in need does not exist in order for you to reach back and pat yourself on the back. And the way that we put it, so it sounds a little extreme, but, uh, and it has that little shock value, but we love to say it is like, um, Jesus has not asked you to feed a poor person. Jesus has not asked you to put a coat on somebody's back. Jesus has not asked you. Jesus has asked you to love that person so much that it breaks your heart that they don't have a coat. There it is. And so, and, and so what we have to do with our students is in those short-term examples, you know, I'll tell them, if you're not showing up to love the person you're serving, it's okay. Stay back. Hang back. Wait until that you're ready to experience that love for them and then respond out of love for that person. The person that the, the, the story of the Samaritan didn't pick the man off the ground to make himself feel better. His heart broke for the man who was beat up and on the side of the road and knew he, he had to do something to help that one. And so um, we, we don't always have that long term to be able to create that long-term relational up being. So like when you do give that money on the thing, I think it's great. Sometimes I look at them, my heart breaks. Here's some money. Exactly. Right? You know, and it's not my job to define what you do with that. Right. I know that this is going, this is what I can do for you in this moment, whether it helps or not. I don't know. It's not my job. Right. But I am, my heart is broken for you. Right. So here you go. So those are two good examples of like, long-term strategic building. And I love some of the things you talked about, about building, working against systems. Mm-hmm. And that's also very difficult because mm-hmm. we, we live inside these giant systems. Um, I've seen toxic charity that ignores those systems because, I, and I'm sure you could speak to this, that uh, people in America are going to try to impose American systems onto Haitian problems mm-hmm. and think that they can solve those things mm-hmm. without understanding with it, which is another form of toxic charity. Right. Right. Um, uh, tell a little bit, uh, tell the story about the big uh, uh, complex of housing out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, that was insane. So in Haiti, um, I was there in uh, 2010 when the earthquake happened on January 12th. And um, it took us a week to get out of, of, of Haiti. And and I, what was strange is, yeah, it was, it was life-threatening. People died around us. Uh, the hotel we were staying at collapsed. We had to stay for two days at a uh, refugee camp uh, outdoors. I uh, had no shelter, and uh, the UN moved us to a place where we would have some shelter, and then we were able to get home. But what's strange is, even though that was a harrowing, traumatic experience for me, I couldn't wait to get back. Mm. I couldn't wait to get back there. And and uh, it, it was as though a big part of me was there. And, and my relational capital grew tremendously through that time mm. because I was there. And, and, and so uh, the earthquake was in January. In April, I went back with a group. We started, we were helping with demolition work, tearing things down so that we could rebuild. And, and, and it was interesting that year to watch things get built. And one of the things that got built was this group in the United States raised all this money after the earthquake. And they went down to Haiti and they built this housing complex, very bright and colorful 
housing complex. But they built it out in the middle of nowhere that was in a floodplain. So when the muds and, and the, the waters during the rainy season come down off the, the, the mountains, off the central plateau there, they flow right through. That's why no one lives there. That's why there was nothing there. And they put it there. People in Haiti don't have cars. You don't drive to the market. You are the market. Like the market just sets up two days a week on the street and people sell their, their wares. Well, when people are living in the middle of nowhere, there's no market. There are no jobs. There was no clean water. There was nothing. And so all of this money got spent, raised and spent to build these very colorful they look like apartments. Um, they look like condos, you know, and and they, they stand out. And you can see them for miles because it's just this flat area where there's nothing. And no one lives there because they didn't have the relationships. They didn't come in to ask, what is the need? The other thing, too, and, and this is something that Americans, it's a big mistake Americans make when we go to Haiti, is Americans go down there and they do the work. Right. They build. They build the houses, right? They build the schools. They build whatever. Well, you're putting Haitian workers out of work because you're coming down and doing it for free. Would an organization rather get the work done for free or pay people to do it? They want to do it for free. Well, Haitians need jobs. They need to work. So raise the money and pay Haitians to do the work, build their economy, help create sustainable employment opportunities versus Americans coming down and for a week building stuff and going home feeling as though you did something noble and good. I remember in Virginia, we uh, had this big project where we were going to build these tilapia farms. So we built, you know, we dug these huge, so we sent these groups of people and they dug these huge ponds out and they were filling them with tilapia and helping them. And and every day this group of, of typically men would come and like hang out on the edge of the ponds and watch and and, you know, people were feeling so proud. They were probably looking at us and so thankful that we're here doing this work for them. And then one day, one of the workers turns to one of the, the local people helping with the project and says, you know, who, who are these people that come every day? And, and the man said, those are the people we would have paid <laughs> to do the work that you're doing. <laughs> That's horrible. Isn't that horrible? horrible? And suddenly everybody was like, oh. But see, here's the hard part. Here's the hard part. So when we started the demolition work, in Haiti. First we had we, we demolished and then we rebuilt. We knew we had enough money to hire twelve workers a day. And then we, we were gonna do some with, with volunteers, right? From the United States come down. I mean it's just bucket brigade stuff. You're breaking up big rocks into little rocks, filling up buckets, throwing them in the back of a dump truck, dump truck takes it away every day, all day, every day, six days a week. So we had enough money to hire twelve workers to work ten hours, ten hour days, six days a week with a meal midday. So we're going to give them all a really good, healthy meal midday, take care of them, but we can't do more than 12. Well, we start beginning of every day, we have 12 workers. At the end of the day, we have 25. <laughs> <laughs> every day. So these, these, peop, these guys would just come onto the job, work, job site and start working. Yeah. They would just walk in, grab a, there's a sledgehammer laying there, grab it, start breaking rocks. And just start working. And then at lunchtime, they're in line. Yeah. You know, they're expecting food. And at the end of the day, they're expecting money. So that was a learning curve. We, yeah. we, we had to be very clear in saying, you know, if somebody came on the job site, we can't pay you. We, we, 
sorry, you know, we, we can't pay you. But we did the best we could to expand, mm-hmm. uh, to raise more money, to hire as many people as we could. Um, as we contracted with a, a construction company to come in and build, you know, they then took over the demolition. We had to manage that, but the, the building, the construction company did it. But those are the challenges that you face. And so when, when God is calling us toward generosity, I'm not saying you need to take seven, eight years to build a relationship before you start giving. Find an organization that understands relational generosity. Find friends who understand relational generosity. People, uh, uh, groups, um, uh, communities, organizations that are doing this work and join them mm-hmm. and, and hear their stories and, and begin to give through their relationships, through their relational capital as you build your own, right? Um, uh, there's something called group sourcing, right? Where we can, we can reach out to friends through social media, whatever, and, and find out what, what people are passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, find people who are, who are giving generously. And I'm not talking, you know, $5 here, $10 there. I'm talking about a realignment of, of, of our, of our budget, of our personal, um, uh, wealth so that we can give impactful dollars so that we can give truly, um, uh, uh, in ways that, that do transform lives, transform communities. Mm-hmm. But, but find people that you trust, that you know practice relational mm-hmm. generosity and come alongside them and, and help them multiply what they're doing while you're building your relationships as well. And then use your voice to advocate and draw others in. Um, we, we need to talk about generosity at this level on day one. Um, we, we can't just start giving to something, hoping it's working out, hoping that the money is used in appropriate ways and that people are empowered. And as you said, it's based in love, right? That, that we're doing it because our hearts are broken when we see people living in, in that level of poverty. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's really hard, I think, being an individual and, and, and choosing to be generous by yourself. I encourage people to do it in community and, and, and with others because that aids in the accompaniment in uh, relational generosity. And I, and I appreciate your focus on the contemplative in this where like I, I just listened to a, a, um, a podcast on John Denver oh, who yeah. was involved in tons and tons of things. But one of the things that John Denver reflected later was he got involved with all those things is because he didn't know how to say no. Right. And he didn't, he didn't want to make somebody feel bad. And he saw them all as worthy. And, and that's one of the things that I find difficult is there are so many things that we can be involved in. And so to me, a part of the contemplative life is defined where the deep groaning is as Harawas. Harawas? I think Harawas. Harawas. Yes, it would say the deep groaning of the world meets the deep groaning in my soul. Yes. Or maybe it's Brueggemann. One of some really Someone smart, really old, bright, <laughs> some really bright Old Testament <laughs> person talked about the deep groaning of the world matching yeah. the deep groaning in my soul. You know, and well, so, Paul talks about that. The the, the creation groans with um, uh, labor pains, mm-hmm. right? It, it's groaning because the creation is looking toward a wholeness, a wellness where everything fits, everything has a place, everything is included, nothing is pushed out, and for us as the sentient 
part of creation, right? We, 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 we're able to think about our thoughts and think about our feelings and feel about our thoughts and feel about our feelings. And we have self-awareness and we have other awareness, uh, God awareness, you know. Um, I think that those birth pangs that are in the creation are in us. You know, when we see that someone has no food, we know that's wrong, right? There's something deep inside of ourselves that says that's, that's wrong. When, when we see that a, 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 a race of people or a nation of people have just been discarded and they don't matter and they don't get investment, they don't have the same privilege or rights or opportunities as, as others, there's something inside that just says that, that's, that's not okay. Um, children can see it, right? Mom, mommy, why does that man have no shoes? Because he's poor. Well, what's poor? He has no money. Well, can we give them some, right? Children do that. Children, let, that, that person is hungry. I can see they're hungry. Can we share some of our food with them? There's something in us as human beings that just gets that. The, that's why Jesus told the story of the Samaritan. He didn't stop because of his religion. He didn't stop because of his, his ethnicity. He didn't stop to help that man because they were kin. He stopped because it broke his heart. There was something in him seeing that man bl- left bloody on the side of the road, there was something that touched him that said, I, I, I need to act, I need to do. And so I do think, Jay, that there's something in the creation in, 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 and then within our humanity that calls us and lures us into practices that generate hope, life, sustainability for all people. And when we have religions and when we have um, social systems and structures that work opposite to that, that divide, that take from, greed, you know, selfishness, the, the rich get richer, the fool get fuller while the poor get poorer. And the, you know, and we, we see these uh, systems, powers and principalities the Bible talks about in the world. We're called to work against those things and, and, and to find ways of generating new life. And I think relational generosity is the very foundation of that. Uh, the very foundation of that. Build the relationship. It's hard to hate somebody that you eat with. It's hard, hard to hate somebody when you know their story and you know why they think the way they do, why they've made some of the decisions they make, because you know their story, you know their background, you know they haven't had the opportunities you've had. Uh, when I go to Haiti, most of the time I'm the highest educated person in the room. Most of the time. You know, it's rare that I come upon a Haitian who has my level of education. Uh, it's rare that I come upon a Haitian who has had the opportunities I've had in my life, right? And so it's humbling. It's a humbling experience. When you start sitting, sitting outside at night in Haiti, looking up at the stars because there's no electricity and there's no light pollution, and you see the sky, the gorgeous sky, and you think the only difference between these beautiful people and me is I was born in Pittsburgh and they were born in Port-au-Prince. It's the only difference. The only difference. Had I been born in Port-au-Prince and they been born in Pittsburgh, you know, everything would, would, would have been different in my life. I bet, and I bet you would agree with me when I say that you might have had more education, but often you weren't the smartest in the room. Oh, I'm never the smartest <laughs> in the room. I'm the highest educated. You just in. had all the opportunity. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I didn't say smartest. No, just the most education. <laughs> I, I, this has been a great start as we talk about toxic charity. Uh, hang in and tune in. Um, we're going to close with prayer here real quick about 
um, opening our heart up to what God is beginning to lead in us about making us wise and uh, leading us towards giving and supporting and being generous with our relationships before we're generous with our time, heart, energy, and talent. So let's take a prayer here and, um, and then please join us next week. Uh, Creator God, uh, in the beauty of this creation, you have made each and every one of us your children. Uh, God, though uh, we have missed the mark, and sometimes we we think one is better than the other, or we understand better, or we're smarter, or we understand things in ways that that other people don't, and we it is hubris, God, and it is destructive. Um, instead, God, you didn't call us to um, lead in front. You called us to come underneath and to serve out of a heart of love. Teach us to open our eyes, to learn from the people of Haiti about what is truly what it truly means to be generous, to learn from the people in our streets who know better than we do how to love, care, and support, to come alongside these people out of love, out of great relational responsibility, that we might grow in heart for them, love for them, and in so doing, seeing you active in the world. Move in us, God, and do all these things in the name of love, whose name is Jesus.